All right, everybody, welcome back into the Buster Show podcast today. Very lucky because my friend Brandon Scooby Robinson is in on the show. My friend, how are you? I'm maintaining. How are you? <laughs> Doing good, man. I, I like that. Maintaining. Yes, you know, sir. I was just saying this beforehand. You know, I don't know anybody who is harder working in the sports journalism world than you. And I've known you for a few years now. Mm-hmm. And the amount of different, you know, projects and things and and topics that you're on top of is is truly remarkable so i just wanted to start off with that so thank you for coming on thank you for the flowers sir i appreciate it (laughs) so yeah go ahead no and i want to say i i see everything that you're doing digitally um whether it's your podcast whether it's your your anecdotes on linkedin are quite um interesting uh I, i think i saw something the other day where you like screenshot of something you were going to type and then you were like, nah, and then you like posted the screenshot and it was like funny. It was just your thoughts. I just think um, your, your methodology is kind of out. It's, well, not kind of, it's out of the box. So keep doing what you're doing and you know, you're all over the place. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, that was funny. I, I wrote that um, writing on your notebook, like the cover of your notebook is like a baby tattoo because that's what it was. Yep. I saw it this morning. Yep. Because uh, you can never get rid of it. There are no more pages, but you switch notebooks eventually. It's not like your skin where you're stuck with that. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was funny. Thank you. Um, so I, I want to talk about your beginning in journalism. How did you get started? I know you've been doing this since you were like five years old or something crazy like that. Um, so 12 years old, but I feel like my introduction to basketball uh, was that. So um, my intro, so I started at 12 years old. I had a radio show with the Nets when I was a kid. Uh, when this was the 97, uh, 98 season uh, with the Nets. Uh, I hosted a show uh, with Evan Roberts, who's over at WFAN, as well as former Net Albert King called Nets Slam and Planet. Uh, it was a kid's radio show that was actually executive produced by Chris Carino, who's the voice of the Nets. Um, and essentially, um, that was my start. I, I got that start because I auditioned uh, to be a radio host at Chelsea Pier, were hundreds of kids looking to audition to do, um, to become a radio personality for uh, the, to do commercials with the crash dummies. I don't know if you remember the crash dummies, but oftentimes, like if you watch like TV, when they have like stock video of like those dolls that are sitting in the front seat of cars and they hit the head hits the airbag. Those were like the crash dummies were kind of like um, infomercials that the U.S., I don't know if it's what 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 branch of government or what where it was, but like public service, the PSAs for like not smoking and like the, the, it was that in that same genre. And basically, um, I auditioned to do that. I killed the first audition. The second audition, the first audition was at Chelsea Pier. The second audition was at uh, Dangerfield's Comedy Club. I was selected over eight other kids uh, to do it, and the Nets contacted you know that that company and said, "Hey, do you have a kid who likes basketball?" So. Um, that was me. This was John Calipari, vice president of basketball operations for the Nets, as well as the head coach. Keith Van Horn was the first pick. Um, and here I was in the locker room being around Chris Carino, uh, as well as Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, Chris Broussard, Stephen A. Smith, all those guys as they were on to come up doing what they were doing. Um, that was where I kind of solidified uh, myself professionally in basketball. But before that, I was still around the game as a kid. That's awesome. I love that. One of the things that I love most about you is, you know, sort of similarly to what you were saying about, you know, LinkedIn and people writing, you know, random stuff there. 
you are undefeated on Facebook, my friend. Some of those little bits, are you, I, I mean, I, I almost want to even put some of them up here on the screen for people to see or watching the video, but uh, is that just a stream of consciousness thoughts? Because you're writing things that are motivational, like little life facts, things that you realize just nonstop every day. It's the only good thing on Facebook, in my opinion. Well, I, thank you. I thank you for that. I, I, what I'll say is this. Um, I really started doing that um, when I was in college and undergrad. I went to a small school right outside of the city of Philadelphia called Eastern University. And essentially, Facebook was created in 2004. Um, there was a point in my life, 2005, 2006, I was not doing well academically. Uh, at one point, I was on academic probation. Um, I, I just was dealing with a lot of family stuff. My grandmother had passed away, my mom's mom. Um, I had other deaths in the family. I just wasn't doing well in school. And those quotes since 2005, 2006, um, have been something that I've used not just to uplift others, but I'm really talking to myself. Um, and I feel like oftentimes people who are leaders, it's often said that leaders feel like they can give advice but not take advice. And, you know, it's often like a do as I say, not as I do. Um, and, and in my guesstimation, I just feel like if it could help me, just things that I'm hearing and throughout my spirit and just hear people say throughout the course of the day, whether it be funny, whether it be sad, whether it be uplifting, whatever, uh, if it can help somebody, I don't care if it has one like, two likes, a thousand likes, but if it can help somebody or motivate them, then, then I'm doing my job. Absolutely. And, you know, people always say too, you know, it's easier or it, it, it helps you properly understand things if you're able to teach them to others. And I feel like in some ways, I even see that through social media. You know, if you see people connecting with things that you're putting out, you'll even think about that more and you'll pay more attention to said thing. And it can have an even more profound effect on whatever you're thinking. Yeah, I think there's there's truth to that. I also think that I also believe that um, you are what you ingest and you are what you, you put out there. You are who you hang around and I, I, birds of a feather flock together. Um, and I often use this quote, you know, the higher you go up on the elevator, it is your responsibility to send it back down in different ways. And, you know, I, I did grow up uh, in a Christian church or Christian background. And um, one of the things that I learned was that Jesus, who, however, whatever you believe in, I still think Jesus is someone that you, you can learn from, you know, in the sense of he was a leader and he did it in an, in an orthodox way. And he wasn't the most popular, but he was the person who had a mission and he went after it and he and he preached the good news in that regard. And I think oftentimes people think, you know, that you can only receive that level of, of, of word and the, the, the traditional form of, 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 of reverence. And I think, you know, you can, you can be, you can, you can be witness to, or be, it be taught in a myriad of ways that has nothing to do with the, the church. Number one, it's how you live your life. It's how you treat people. Um, and, it, and it's, and it's spreading that message. Um, and I, and I think that, um, whether it's a social media post where everybody's on or, or if it's, you know, helping somebody or, or just, just giving that good news. That's right. That's what the gospel is. The good news. I feel like that's so important. And you see that level of consciousness throughout time. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King, you saw it with Gandhi, you saw it with, uh, uh, Mother Teresa. I'm not comparing myself to any of those people. I would say that I'm definitely influenced by them, but I, I definitely think that um, their message um, and, and the life that they tried to exemplify, they weren't perfect, but 
Um, they, 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 I mean, Tupac and Biggie in a way, they, they spread a message. At the end of the day, it's all about uplifting and, and, and positive vibes in that regard. Totally. And especially in today's age where there's not enough of that. That's what's lacking on social media because, you know, by nature of algorithms, it makes people more selfish, right? So, you know, it sort of by default at scale prevents a lot of that. Imagine what the world would be like if you went on social media and it was just all like positive vibes and people uplifting each other. Like what, what sort of an impact do you think, you know, that would happen have on the world? Well, I'll tell you what, I had this conversation the other day. I, I genuinely feel as though um, where we are, because COVID is still alive and well. Um, I think that people think it's over. It's not, but this is what I'll say. I think where we are right now um, is similar to where we were after 9-11 was over and people were back to normal. Uh, I believe that when 9-11 first happened, many folks were just... Um, nice to each other because there was it was a, a tragedy you know you, you 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 excuse my language if you farted somebody apologized and i think at the end of the day once the dust settled um it, it was business as usual and i kind of feel like that's what's going on in, in the climate that we're in and i i do feel like um covid as it relates to social media i just think that like you with the notebook i think social media is a notebook uh, that folks are using uh, to let out their thoughts, both good and bad. And I also think that because folks have been in the house so long, they're like cavemen. They don't know how to, it, it's, it's, it's indicative upon people's responses and, and lack of right. patience. It's, it's, it's terrible. Yeah, that's true. And I think also, you know, something that you said before, you know, that you are the sum of those who you spend the most time with. The same is true for social media. You know, you're the sum of the people that you follow and time mm -hmm. because the average American, I think it's like four and a half hours a day. And that's, that us. And that, that's, <laughs> that's average, right? right? So forget about if you're a teenager or if you're uh, in the business or in any business that involves social, which is every business, um, you know, it's probably more like seven to 10. And I don't hang out with anybody seven hours a day. Your you know, phone. I only hang out with my phone for seven hours a day. So it's like I am impacted more by what I see on my phone than what I am by those I'm spending the time around. So I, I even feel like it's almost the reverse now as to where it used to be. Like growing up, you're in school. I didn't even have I didn't even have a phone. You know, I was vibing, you know, and, and I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm saying that it's a great thing if you can properly position yourself while you're on the phone, but it can be a terrible thing if you don't do a good job of that. I'm with you. You're on to something, preacher. <laughs> yeah, man. It's it's. I really do think though that like these are the interesting topics, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you so so much was because these are some of the things that I see you putting out, and and by default, I know that you're thinking about these sorts of things, where whereas most people might be, but you know, you're actually putting it out there. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think um, as much as you work, um, and I'm kind of learning this as I've um, gotten older, um, I'm still learning, I'm still a work in progress, but I, I definitely think that um, you have to separate, sometimes you, you have to step away, and if you're kind listen, I'm around basketball every day, if, if I'm able to, to, to give something 
thought-provoking, something encouraging, it's something that is that makes you say, hmm, and it has nothing to do with basketball. I think that's what makes me different than some of my peers. Doesn't make me better, doesn't make me less. It's just I'm constantly thinking. And sometimes you want to have a diversion away from the game of basketball. Totally. How so how have you sort of found, you know, or tried to work on that basketball life balance and all of that? How do you any tips or anything to that that's helped you and be better in that regard? Because it's a very difficult subject when you love what you do for work so much. Find something that you love from your childhood and apply it to um, your adult life. Um, I moved to a new complex uh, a bit ago and there's an arcade in my complex and it has a ton of video games from my childhood that I play. I've kind of slacked just because it's been very, very busy with the playoffs for myself. It's been a great playoffs. It, it has. Um, but, I, but I'll tell you that some of the games that I enjoyed when I was a kid, Street Fighter, Turtles in Time, um, X-Men, uh, Pac-Man, NBA Jam. And I'll spend some time. It's crazy. I remember posting something on, on Twitter a while back and tweeted it. And I was like, which character should I select? It was Street Fighter. And Daryl Morey, the president of 76, his quote tweeted said, Guile. And uh, people went crazy, like, Daryl Morey plays video games. Like, it was hilarious. It's like, like he's not a normal person. And, um, you know, it's, it's um, he, he and I connected on that level, you know? So you just never know how they, even that could turn into a, a more forwarding conversation. Totally. Yeah. And also a reminder that everybody is, you know, more or less the same. Everybody... Everybody has those video games when they're childhood. Everybody has like, you know, all these different things, or or at least you can find more crossovers than people think. Mm-hmm. I found that I found that with my love of sports cards. I see it every day. All these people, you know, oh, I collected in the 90s, I collected in the 80s, I collected in the 70s. Oh, I had that same card when I was a kid. Everybody's the same. Yeah. Yeah. And when you talk about the sports cards, I got binders, 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 binders. Of exactly. <laughs> Um, and it's crazy because when I was a kid, I would get a lot of players to sign my stuff. That's dope. Um, Sean Kemp, Rasheed Wallace, Jerry Stackhouse, Allen Iverson, um, Patrick Ewing. Uh, and I can go on and on a day. And the thing now is like jerseys. Like I've gotten, I'm starting to build a collection of um, different things. Like Carmelo Anthony uh, signed his Denver Nuggets jersey for me. Dr. J signed a Philadelphia 76ers uh shooting shirt it's got like the Sixers logo on it on the patch like a patch right here he signed it and um I got Kyrie Irving to sign a Boston Celtics uh jersey for me and it's like the one with the because I know GE I don't think it's their sponsor anymore I had the 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 check the the Nike check with the GE logo on it um so like and I make sure that they sign it a lot of them to Brandon or to Scoop and I've just been developing and collecting over time that's awesome I love that um speaking of some of those guys do you have any favorite i know you've interviewed a lot of them do you have any favorite you know favorite moments experiences from talking to a lot of these guys is there anything that you know stands out when when you sort of think back and, and look back on all the interviews you've done yeah um so i mentioned to you that i started at um at, at 12 with the nets as a kid um before i started that in in 97 um my family actually ran and operated 
uh, a sneaker store and a shoe store uh, in, in oh. Harlem, 125th Street. And we had a men's shoe store called Men's Walkers. And we had a, a, a sneaker store called Athlete's Foot. We were the only Black-owned Athlete's Foot in New York State. Um, and I remember I have pictures as a as a kid um, where my where Dominique Wilkins was holding me as a baby. Uh, wow. Hakeem Olajuwon holding me. Spud Webb would do all these guys would do sneaker releases in the store. Um, and so for me, um, I, I feel like that was something that was always um, that always stood out. Um, and I feel like carrying that over and kind of connecting that's with my childhood to my adulthood is what makes it cool, specifically um, when I'm storytelling or I'm, tr I'm trying to get um, quotes that kind of tie into the news peg. So uh, I'll give you an example. Um, growing up, um, my Uncle Billy ran a basketball league called Citywide in Harlem. Anybody who came out of New York City um, played in Citywide. We're talking Bernard King. We're talking Stefan Marbury. We're talking Rod Strickland. So I think you know Rod Strickland is Kyrie Irving's godfather. Of course, yeah. And my uncle was a mentor to Rod. And there was a period of time where really during the season or even like last fall, a lot of folks were kind of um, giving Kyrie a hard time, I'll just say. And uh, I had my own relationship with him and Etc. But this is what I'll say. But being able to connect the dots from the '90s to the present day is something that I enjoy. Um, I have covered or been around Kai since 2013 when he was a Cav, um, and you know that's carried over to Boston and to now in Brooklyn. Uh, to be able to tie or connect dots, you know what's what's Rod Strickland game? What's his game like in comparison to Kyrie? How would Kyrie fit into today's or yesterday's landscape versus today? How would Rod Strickland fit in today versus yesterday? And, you know, even looking at playing style. So I like to draw lines between the 90s and the 80s and the present day. Um, the, the connection with Rod and, and Kyrie sits well. Um, I'll say even from the hip hop perspective, uh, my aunt is from uh, East Elmhurst, Queens, and she used to babysit LL Cool J. Um, and, yeah. And so like being at events, you know, back when we were all outside, you know, connecting with guys like LL Cool J on a level of, you know, I know him from my aunt and from him shopping at the store on a local level, it easily and seamlessly carries over into the professional world, which is pretty cool. Um, right. Yeah. It's, it's all about that relatability and comfort from the jump exactly because most people can't you can't pay it's not, it's not something you can pay for no you either have it or you don't mm -hmm. and if you don't have it you can build it for sure you know but it takes a lot of work yes um so for your preparation for big interviews is is that uh is it part just you know knowing these knowing some of these guys and relations and being able to connect some of those dots like you were talking about and then how much of it is research looking things up thinking about things beforehand and how much of it is just in the moment uh, authentic and, and how do they sort of interplay with each other well it's always authentic um i think that's important um i'll add that um as much as i love basketball i love pop culture um and, and a perfect example of that probably uh was back in the fall uh, when I, you know, I was at heavy.com for two and a half years. And, you know, during the pandemic, uh, I started a uh, digital show called Heavy Live with Scoop B. 
Um, and I remember Marbury and I were texting and he wanted to come on and talk. And um, I'm a huge Jay-Z fan. I like Marbury as well. Um, and there was a line in his song, Jay-Z song, excuse me again, la la la. And the line goes like this. Uh, Don't confuse me with Marbury out this bitch might run up on me at the light. You could lose your life. And I asked him about it. And he went off on Jay-Z. Um, I don't know that he ever really reacted to it. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he's ever been asked about it in interviews, but I, I have a good rapport with him that, you know, those are the kind of questions I can ask. Um, and that interview went viral. It was all over the place. It was, they were talking about it on the radio. They were talking about it in blogs. They were talking about it. Like it was everywhere. And um, like it, 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 it was something that um, just paying attention to pop culture. You know, I'll give you another example. Carl Crawford, a baseball player, uh, manager of Meg Thee Stallion. Um, he, uh, I asked him about Meg Thee Stallion's contract. This was around the time that the Dodgers were in the World Series and um, you know, I asked him a question about Megan Stallion. Next thing I know, people are tagging me in a uh, shade room post, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, it hit. Um, so I, I think it's paying attention to pop culture. I think it's being a person. Um, I, I think it's being in tune with your, your audience. And if you're not, you know, doing some research to make sure that you are in tune, um, and it's taking notes. I don't think that if you're doing an interview, you should just write all your questions. You never know the direction that the interview is going to go in. Uh, I'll tell you that uh, when I was, after I finished grad school and I was building my career, um, I spent many, I spent about 10 years off and on uh, as an adjunct professor at a couple of colleges. And um, I remember every semester I would play the film, uh, the interview. And I'll never forget uh, when Eminem was on there and he made the comment and and just for context, he said, I'm gay. And it's like, wait, the guy was like, wait, what? And he, he like, he announced to the world that that's what he was. None of those other questions that he wrote mattered at that point because the focus was Eminem said what? And I think that just comes with time and experience, just knowing, knowing, knowing how to navigate through those, those, those different things. Totally. And, you know, when, you know, I, I, I found this too, like when I was, you know, a few years younger, I always used to love to write things down. And then I made the full turn where I like to write nothing down because, you know, you have to, you have to, feel the tone and if something hits then you keep going down that and you keep talking about if something doesn't you abort that mission as quick as you can you know um and it's just a it's just a energy thing more than anything else just talking to people in general there's no different on a show than you know me talking to you at dinner or whatever it is um you know i think that that's where uh I think that honestly, that's where the discrepancy between TV and the internet currently lies. It's because people on TV are not as in tune. Though they're not as in tune and they are A, working for a big, big network, which totally changes the dynamic. There's a lack of connection. Oftentimes they're literally reading off a teleprompter. So it couldn't be less genuine uh, if they tried. And you know, I, I think the lack of allowing people to comment on things in a world where people should be able to comment on things. Everybody's opinion matters. Everybody's voice matters. If you disagree with me on a sports subject or on any subject, you should be able to voice that opinion. And TV doesn't allow that. Why, why do you think people are more interested in, you know, sort of the stuff that you're doing as opposed to TV nowadays? 
because it's different. Um, and I think me is just uh, who I am. Uh, you either love me or you hate me. Um, and, and I think there's no in between. So even if you dislike me or you like me, you still want to pay attention to my booking list because I know how to navigate a conversation. And I think that the goal is not to be liked. The goal is to do the job and go home and be good at what you do. And so I, I think um, we're at a, in an impasse where I think um, we are uh, seeing TV and digital compete. And I remember a time when I finished grad school in 2011, I went to Hauschka University and um, you know nobody was hiring. I had to really build my situation from scratch. I built Scoopy Radio, um, which you know garners two to three million streams annually. Uh, we've had anyone from uh, DJ Khaled to, uh, to Stefan Marbury to Shaq to Charles Barkley, Voice of Siri, Mark Cuban, a myriad of people. And, you know, essentially, um, you know, it started from a sneaker box. Uh, I, all my old tapes from my childhood uh, were in a Timberland box sitting in my parents' house. And I, me and my team, uh, my business partner, we, we digitized those tapes and uh, created Scoopy Radio. Um, the first time it went viral was talking was when uh, Tim Thomas, retired NBA player, talked about his beef with Kenyon Martin years ago and challenged him to a boxing match. And that hit like everywhere and i just ahead remember of its time by the way what'd you say i said ahead of its time as you see what's going on now exactly i just talked to tim about that the other day that was a 2016 interview and uh you know Kenyon martin and i have had conversation about it both in person and on the phone and it's it's interesting but uh creating that conversation between both having them both separately on scoopy radio to discuss it uh, it wasn't until it was brought to the light that it hit the blogs because it's not something people think about like i remember um, sitting down with Kenny Smith, another New York legend who, you know, gave his time. And we talked about um, the Bulls. And, uh, you know, I asked him straight up, like, yo, if Michael Jordan hadn't retired, would, would the Rockets still have won those two championships, 94, 95? And he said, we would have beat him, no question. Like, you know, that interview hit the jump on ESPN. It, it hit tons of blogs. And um, it was a blessing uh, to, to, to have that Scooby Radio as an independent uh, podcast uh, make make those type of waves. You usually see majors moving like that, uh, moving as as a major as an indie at that point. And um, you know, it's 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 the epitome of you know, in high school we we were always looking for that new DJ Clue or DJ Envy mixtape. It's moving like a mixtape rather than just waiting people waiting for the studio album. Totally. No, that's super interesting too. And I'm glad you you mentioned the point too about it being. Uh, independent because I feel like we're starting to see that in music but it's not just music where you know there's so much value in being independent and so many great things that come with that along with you know the difficulties that come with that but uh, you know in music you see certain guys you know just using Ross as an example um, the, the artist and you know independent huge songs and you know the benefits that he gets from that are you know owning everything and not having to listen to anybody having full creative control over every drop and release and only the input of the people that he wants the input from then i'm sure you have other people who are signed to labels and you know they might get that extra push but it might not be as organic which is never as good um and there was something great mickey james who was a former wwe star who was on the show at two or three episodes ago and mm -hmm. she said uh she did something that i had never thought about before and she said 
it's important not to be exposed overexposed before you're ready. And I've been thinking about that for a couple of weeks now. Uh, and you know, I think that there is a lot to say that benefits the independent in that regard because it's impossible to be overexposed before you're ready when you're independent. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I tell I will say this to you. Um, Scoopy Radio was the best invention that me and my team created after seeing the industry from the lens of my childhood and also looking at it from the lens of being at, at, at CBS Radio, being at the Source Magazine, um and a myriad of other places and i understood the concept of brand branding my name is brandon you can't say brand without you can't say brandon without saying brand um and i feel like one of the things that rappers particularly as you mentioned have done uh was have their own money and so or have someone funding it um and so for me i come from a world of my family owning a business and knowing what it means to have to fund your own money or create the capital to make it happen. Um, and I think that one of the things about being independent that's so beautiful is, like you mentioned, is doing your own thing. But I'll add this, you know, being an indie artist is not new. Um, it's all about true distribution. And I mentioned Jay-Z is my favorite rapper. Uh, if you look at his blueprint, no pun intended, when he dropped Reasonable Doubt, um, he used Priority Records as his, as his distributor. Um, Priority has always been ahead of the curve as it related to um, distribution and splits and giving the artist the opportunity to get the best deal. Um, Jay-Z was popular in New York City and knew his demographic way before he was on. He was famous before he was famous. And he had his own money. You know how he got the money, but he also had good management. And he had good partners, both public and silent. Kareem Biggs Burke was a great silent partner, had the money. Damon Dash was his manager, but he was also um, he was also a partner. And he also had good people pushing it in Ty Ty, uh, who was very instrumental in getting him seen in certain places. Part of being an independent and being good at being an independent is also having a good team around you. And that's where a lot of people miss that. Um, and I also think that with partnerships, um, it's so very important uh, to get the right deal. Um, and I use this example. I don't want to give all of the secret to the sauce, but I wear glasses. Zenny Optical is, is, a, is um, a company that sponsors the Chicago Bulls. And when I was living in my grandmother's basement apartment for uh, five years, I used to run to the mall before I would get on the train and get glasses from like the, 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 um, glass hut truck or, you know, like that, 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 that kiosk at the mall. And I wore glasses that were not prescription because I would often be doing TV hits. And this was before I was at the point where they were sending car service to my house. And so essentially I would wear those glasses to, um, deflect the fact that I wasn't sleeping and I had bags under my eyes. And so it was a detractor, but it also made me stand out. When you look at broadcasters, Craig Sager had something that made him stand out. He had blazers. The blazers were his, his signature thing. Every great has something that's signature that makes them stand out. Um, and I think that the glasses became a thing. I actually have 20-20 vision. 
People don't know that. These aren't even prescription glasses. But I have custom glasses by Zenny that has my name in it. Um, and they pay me to wear the glasses, which is a blessing. Um, and I think branding and partnerships are so important, whether it's Zenny, whether it's Jeff Hamilton, uh, the, the, the classic designer who makes different things. It's all about branding and how you look. And I think you mentioned Rick Ross. I don't know. Did you say, did you say Rick Ross? I don't think I mentioned Rick Ross, but I love Rick Ross. Rick Ross aligned himself with Puffy J. Khaled, where he was posting liquor bottles on his Instagram and he didn't even have the deal. And it got to the point that he was getting, that people were buying up his stuff so much that he went back to Puff and said, yo, Puff, y'all got to start cutting me a check because I'm making you money. It's all about the optics of things going on. So I didn't know that these glasses would be a thing, but it ended up turning into something that I could even realize, you know? So I, I just think it's important to be forward thinking, think ahead, but also if you're an independent, you gotta have um, partnerships that make sense, that, that, that balance out your brand. Totally. And it's so funny too, when you said that also, first off, thank goodness I'm not a basketball player because you can't say buster without saying bust. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it's interesting too. Like there's some things you can never predict, right? Like let's say I have crazy sneaker game. Nobody would have known for the last year because all you see is the waist up, you know? So you got lucky. You got lucky there with the glasses being on camera 24 <laughs> seven. There, there's some things you can't prepare for and that benefit you do. Um, I mean, I'll say this. I don't want to monopolize the time, but I'll just say that, you know, heading into COVID, uh, me and one of my business partners, we, we had both just talked about this. So we're talking like January, February of 2020, um, preparing for the next recession. Uh, you know, I graduated college, undergrad. I went to Eastern University, small school in Pennsylvania. And in 2008, when the banks collapsed and nobody predicted that this was uh, newspapers were, were dying breed. And it was all about social media developing and digital content. That was the start, I believe, when the banks collapsed in 2008. And so thinking ahead in 2020, me and my business partners were like, yo, we got to start preparing for the next recession. We don't know what it's going to be. We don't know how it's going to be, but we got to start preparing, whatever that is, whether that's digital marketing, whether that's um, uh, you know getting a secure job at a university so that you can teach the same things that we do every day. As long as you're straight until you're about 40 years old, the rest of it is just management managing your money, managing your time, you know, and, and developing and building your family. And then COVID hit. And so I feel like our belief and, and our senses of what was what were right on target. And, um, you know, it was all about, I feel like 2020 was all about investing in yourself if you did it right. Absolutely. You know, there's this thing I always say, it's called No Days Aussies that I started beginning, beginning of the pandemic, a little bit before too, but I didn't have a name for it. And all that it means is, you know, getting up and getting active every day in whatever way that means. It doesn't even necessarily just mean physical. It means mental. It means put that time and energy into the things that you care about, um, treat everybody well and, and with respect. But, um, you know, I do think that COVID, you know, you know, and, and I, I'll say this too, for the people who are listening that still have things that they want to get after, they still have physical health every goals that they want to get after there's no better time the best time was yesterday but the second best time is today <laughs> and the third best time the third best time is also today um so you know there's always ample time but with that being said 
I think that if people didn't do it during COVID, it's probably not the best signal that's gonna gonna happen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the best time is today, not tomorrow, not a week from now. It's it's now, and I'll tell you that um, from a perspective of personal development, um, I and I and I want to acknowledge this like we lost a lot of people during COVID and I don't want to make light of just personal development without acknowledging um, that we lost a lot of people to something that is still not over. Um, and, and, you know, whatever you need to do, whether it's shots or, or meaning vaccines or masking up or socially distant, you make sure that you're doing that. But the one thing that I, I think is so imperative and uh, in, in, in remembering as we're having this conversation is passion. Everybody's not afforded the opportunity to know what their passion is. Uh, I remember there were times where um, when I was in grad school, well, grad, finishing grad school and figuring out my next move, living in my grandmother's basement, she would often say to me when things weren't going my way, you need to get a job. Uh, McDonald's is always hiring. And, and I didn't always agree with that methodology. Um, but one thing that I will say is this, um, if you're in a position where you're looking to make your dream a reality or you're trying to make your dream your job, you're going to at some point have to work somewhere to fund your dream um, if you don't have that support uh, in that regard. And I think it's so important um, if you're not making money online and, and if, um, working in that e-commerce space or online space, whether it's branding, whether it's PR, whether it's whatever, um, I think now more than ever is the, the best time uh, to, to do something like that. And I think that um, to go back to that point about just um, what I was saying, I, I just think it's so important to really hone in on your gifts, your talents, but your passion. I love basketball. I love music. I love culture. Um, and, and I love the arts. And I think that, you know, it's so important to just uh, tap into that in, in whatever way you can. Totally. And I'm curious if you, if you also believe in this, you know, the idea of doing things that you hate to figure out what you love. Is that something that you believe in? Yeah, so when I was in grad school, um, I interned uh, at the spring semester at uh, 30 Rock at NBC. And um, I was an intern at News Specials, Breaking News, and Nightly News with Brian Williams, who was hosting it at the time. It's now Lester Holt's show. That's significant because um, during the week, I would see Lester Holt just in the hallways and would have conversation. Like during that time, I would see Tom Brokaw. Like I shared an elevator a time or two with Tom Brokaw and he would give me some advice. And, you know, I, I would often see Lester Holt and uh, we were friendly and he asked me like, Brendan, how are you liking your internship? I said, can I be honest with you, Lester? He said, yeah. I said, I hate it. He laughed. He goes, well, it's important for you to do things that you hate so that you can figure out what you love. Exactly what you just said. And um, I later ran into Lester like that summer. We, I was out in San Diego uh, for a conference. And he was like, Brandon, right? I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, I remember you had the internship. I said, yeah, but you, you left me with something that I'll never forget. It's important to do what you hate so you can figure out what you love. And, and it takes me back to something my mom would often say, do the things, do what you have to do so that you can do what you want to do. Mm, that's a good line. It's important. Yeah. That's great, man. Well, I think that's a perfect note to leave this off on. Uh, where where can people find you best if they want to keep following your journey? Um, so Bally Sports Network is 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 now a transition from indie to network while still having my hands in the independent sector. But 
Um, Valley Sports Network is where you can find all my written work uh, where I'm the digital uh, NBA insider. You can follow me on Twitter at Scoop B, as well as Instagram and Snapchat at Scoop underscore B. And most importantly, please subscribe to the Scoop B radio podcast, uh, which is available on all, all streaming platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Stitcher iHeart, or simply by visiting ScoopBradio.com. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Brother, thank you for the opportunity to be myself. Always. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Peace.